At the age of 25, Nick Turner broke up with his girlfriend of eight years. With only one relationship under his belt, Nick decided to remake his dating life and went out six days a week for a solid year, cold approaching women in public. Today, at the age of 35, and now a self-described dating coach, Nick will share learnable social techniques that can be beneficial for both men and women who want to meet new people or simply grow their community. Where do we go to meet new people in a modern world where connection is often dictated by algorithms and dating apps? What are the exact steps, right down to word choice and hand gestures, one might use in that first awkward conversation with a new person? How do we learn to handle failure and rejection? How do we overcome the idea that we may feel unwantable or unattractive to others? Conversely, what does it mean to assume attraction? And lastly, how do we re-enter the dating scene after a long hiatus, perhaps after decades of marriage? I am Benjamin Rusick, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What To Do. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Look, Just Tell Me What To Do, where myself and my esteemed guest, who is named... Nick Turner. Nick Turner are going to tell you guys what to do, but today's episode is going to be on dating and romantic relationships, which is my least favorite subject, probably because I'm so terrible at it. Today, we're just going to do a Q&A, questions that I think I've heard before and that Nick has heard before, and then we're going to do four or five episodes after this that zero in on certain aspects of dating and romantic relationships, such as how to approach people that you meet in public, how to nurture relationships, and all sorts of good stuff. Right, Mr. Mm -hmm. Turner? Is that correct? Everything you need to know. Everything you need to know and more, and probably a bunch of stuff you don't need to know. I regard Nick as someone who knows more about dating than the devil himself, and I fear him. (laughs) <laughs> and his knowledge. As you should. As, as I should. Nick, like many of my guests, goes to my jiu-jitsu academy. Imagine that. Now, Nick is so amazing at what he does, and he has so much knowledge that he actually has a psychological edge over me. And so even though I wear this belt around my waist that's um, higher than Nick's, I have an enormously difficult time beating him because I'm pretty sure, I know he's good, but I also don't believe that I can because I just, I just regard him as a higher form of life. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Nick, tell us who you are and why we should care. So I am a 35 year old tech worker in San Francisco. I got into the realm of dating, the theory of dating, coaching, because I was in a eight year relationship from 17 to 25. That was also the first girl I ever went on a date with, only girl I had kissed and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I got out of it at 25 with absolutely zero social skills. I was also usually kind of the uh, annoying jokester throughout Mm -hmm. childhood, Mm -hmm. you know, picked on, outcast. So I didn't have like a lot of strong social skills. Most of my college time while I was in the relationship was spent playing a uh, online role playing game. So at 25, without any skills, you know, having gone to a bar or other venue to meet people, never really asked somebody on a date. We got together in high school where it was obviously a different uh, situation. So like many things, I approach it with obsession and I read as much as I could on the theory, what was known, people who purported to you know be good at this mm-hmm. and try to see what I could learn from them. Mm-hmm. And I went down the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. reading all types of material from regular dating to the kind of pickup style material. And I went out about six days a week for solid for more than a year. And I really went over a year with no success. 
mm-hmm. just failure after failure. Mm-hmm. And eventually through a lot of change and hard work, I got to the point where I felt comfortable in my dating life, where I was having pretty repeatable success. Mm-hmm. I felt the confidence that when I saw someone that I was interested in, mm-hmm. whether at a social event or even just out on the street, the grocery mm-hmm. store, whatever, mm-hmm. I knew I had the skill set to approach them, talk to them, get to know them. Mm-hmm. And if there was a spark there, if there was, you know, mutual attraction, confidently being able to set up a date and, you know, run that date and avoiding all the common pitfalls that I ran into for the rest of my life. Wow. And just have a repeatable, you know, method of success. Mm-hmm. to form relationships. So you're a self-described dating and romantic relationships coach, I would yeah. say. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. It's a very uh, vague terminology. There's nothing, uh, there's right. no official uh, licenses they give out. And I, I imagine most of your clientele are men, but you do work with women as well. Is that correct? Yes, I do. I mean, I think a lot of the core principles I try to focus on, I think are applicable to anybody who's looking to form a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, while a lot of other coaches try to model what they teach mm-hmm. off kind of their own personality. Mm-hmm. I really try to look at what is like the core underlying fundamental human principle that's being acted on. So I think this works for career women. It works for jocks. It works for tech nerds. Mm-hmm. It works for introverts, extroverts, does it work party for, goers. Does it work for therapists? It works for therapists. I don't believe I have it. actually I don't believe it. had success there in know. the past. No way. No way. Not this therapist. Give me more time. <laughs> yeah, we were in the park today and the notion, I was hanging out with Nick in the park and the notion of walking up to some random human and just, what's your what's your favorite line? I just like to say, hey, my name is Nick, <laughs> which works in every situation, whether you're at a nightclub oh or whether you're God. on the street. It's, you know, it's, at its heart, it's an introduction. Wow. I think that you want something that you don't have to think about. A lot of guys and women who approach someone off the street, Mm -hmm. they always struggle with, you know, what am I going to say? So it's Mm -hmm. nice to have something that you can go to. So even if your head is a complete blank, those words will come out. Give people a picture, our listeners, a picture of what exactly it is that you, that you do with people. Sure. So I do run seminars with uh, 15 to 20 people Mm -hmm. as well as do a lot of one-on-one coaching. Okay. And the coaching involves, it's, it's very similar to therapy. Mm -hmm. A lot of the, uh, a lot of similar issues are discussed, but it's kind of finding out what are the sticking points that this individual has? What are they good at? What do they need to improve at? Mm-hmm. Where is their mindset? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what are the ways that they're shooting themselves in the foot? Mm-hmm. And then trying to come up with a plan uh, using, you know, practical, actionable advice of how to get them one step at a time towards whatever their goal is. And that's different. Most people who get into this are looking for ultimately a partner, mm-hmm. uh, whether you know a monogamous or open relationship, but they want someone they can spend a lot of time with and have a deep emotional connection to. Fantastic. And so I want to address one point. There's this community called the pickup community. Sure. And it's viewed by many as incredibly predatory, particularly yeah. uh, towards women. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that this podcast is not about that. Yeah. It's about connecting with people. It's about looking, you're looking for a relationship. You want to meet somebody. And in this modern world, it's really hard to meet people. And it's even more difficult to meet people in public. It's in, is everyone's meeting, they're, they're doing these dating apps. My purpose here today is to like, what are some real actionable skills that we can talk about where you can go out into the world, go into your community, work wherever and meet human beings 
male or female, connect with that person and start something going. Sure. That's the point. It's not the point is not to pick someone up and bed them that evening. That right. is not what we're talking about. Is that correct? Well, I think you can <laughs> potentially meet someone and, you know, bed them that evening. It, it can if, happen. If but it's it, two consensual adults and they're both having a good time and yeah. it's done honestly and ethically. Right. But, you know, ultimately, yes, it's not about a numbers game and it's not really predatory. Yeah. In any way. Because there's some really uh, vicious materials out there. I was just reading this book um, called Game by this guy, Roosh, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's and, uh, toxic. Oh, I browsed through it and man. I mean, he is so he do, he 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 treats women as as like they're this this nefarious predatory animal that's out to get you, and you have to learn to 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 kind of ah yeah. I think in that mindset, uh, men and women are seen as kind of different creatures, and with the community that he runs in, usually uh, women are not given any agency. Mm -hmm. They're kind of seen as these. Um, automatons that you know follow this set of programming to always search out you know the highest value male and right. it becomes really toxic yeah. because it becomes an excuse for any in it, the community is mostly made up of men and it gives them an excuse for why they aren't getting what they want out of the world yeah. and the answer is it's because the system is bad the world is bad and women are bad yeah. and it's not your fault and then unfortunately the solution often given is you have to work within that system and essentially become, you know, a bad actor in that system to yeah. get what you want. And it's just, it's very toxic and yeah, cancerous. His, his phrasing for it was clown game. You have to go out there and perform for people. Yeah. And that just, ugh, gross. So that's not what we're doing. I want to make that really clear to the world that that is not what I am about today. Yeah. So let's get straight to some questions here that I've heard a lot. And let's get right at it. Nick? How do we meet new people? That's a great question. <laughs> I'm a single guy. I'm a single girl. What What's a human being to do in this in this day and age? Uh, and we're not talking about Tinder. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the world because Tinder is ridiculous. Yes. Well, I think a lot of a lot of the you know the principles and the advice I give is equally applicable to meeting people online because ultimately it's a person that yeah. you don't know. You're getting to know them. I, the strategy that I like to employ is to meet people usually in the daytime just throughout my life okay. because not everybody likes the nightclubs. Not everybody goes out to bars. You know, only a third of the country really are, um, you know, social drinkers. Mm -hmm. And I focus on being able to walk up to somebody, a stranger you've never met before. Yeah. Introduce yourself, kind of break the ice. Mm -hmm. uh, I talk about how to relate. If you're looking to start a romantic relationship, then I talk about how to make the conversation sexualized, meaning that it's like male, female, that it is clearly there's intent that the two of you could potentially be partners. Okay. And that helps to avoid going down the platonic path. Sure. Which can uh, it can be hard to break out of that once you start down that path. Yeah. So I kind of try to avoid getting there. Okay. Can you just give us some some anecdotes? I'm big on anecdotes. I like stories. Sure. And I would be interested in hearing uh, three stories. One story about an interaction that goes a few interactions that went really terribly for you. Sure. And some stories about some that went okay and some that went really really great. Sure. So I think everybody has a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. When it comes to approaching random people, you know, off the street, mm -hmm. 
I think that usually the worst interaction you're going to have is somebody just ignoring you. Okay. And just, you know, not not, not stopping, not not wanting to talk to you or just saying, hey, I'm busy. They don't like try to stab you in the face or shoot you. Or... Never had that happen. You never had that? Not once? Not once. What's that scar on your cheek? That's, <laughs> That's from jujitsu. That's from jujitsu. Okay. So jujitsu is far more hazardous than meeting people on the street. Sure. I see. So I think that, you know, anytime you're talking to a large number of people, you're dealing with the uh, law of averages and you're going to run in, you're obviously going to run into most people who are cool and then some people who, you know, take it badly. Mm-hmm. But what does that look like besides them ignoring? What does that look like? It could be the person you're going to talk to, or potentially their friend that that is with them, saying, uh, "You know, you're you're horrible. Don't talk to people. Uh, you shouldn't ever come up and talk to somebody." Or you know, just hurling expletives at you. Isn't it amazing that we live in a world where someone might say, "You're not supposed to walk up and start talking to people." Yeah, it's... like what the hell is wrong with walking up and talking to a human being? Exactly, especially in 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 public. I mean, that's yeah. we're social creatures. Yeah, and that's what happens in public is you're opening yourself up to the world. If you don't want to talk to someone, then stay either stay home or stay, you know, in areas where there aren't other people around. Can I ask you an aside here? Sure. Um, do you think that what is going on in our culture? Maybe it's urban culture. Cause I went down to like, I was in Santa Cruz and everyone was like making eye contact with me. Mm-hmm. And I, it felt like I could have, I could have spoken to anybody on the sure. street. And I find that like, I mean, I went to Ireland and it's yeah. like, you could, Talk to anybody, you know. Yeah. Um, do you what's what's going on? Uh, I think it's a combination of people getting more accustomed to online interactions. Okay, and that can also result in less time being spent in person. So literally less social skills. Mm-hmm. And oh, I didn't think of that. It can be because it's so easy to set things up with people, you know, even kind of know remotely through online, you end up most of your social situations being with people that you've already got a connection to. Right. And so it's, it's a much rarer event that you're, you know, being, you're meeting someone, a stranger just out of the blue. Right. Right. The the clicks here are pretty, are pretty tight in San Francisco particularly. I've noticed. I think big cities are like that also yeah. because you don't know who you're going to run into on the street. Yeah. You know, if you're in the shopping district, then mm-hmm. you're going to have people trying to stop you for makeup samples or to go to their comedy show or to sign a petition <laughs> right, right. or potentially people who are, uh, you know, asking for money. Yeah. And there's a little bit, you know, of a closed off nature. Mm-hmm. that people don't want to open themselves up because they're not sure what type of interaction they're getting into. So some of it's fear-based. Sure. At the same time, while they're talking or walking around on their phone, they're also, you know, they're interacting with people they know, they're interacting right. with their friends, their family. So they have those connections. It's just not necessarily to the people that's in front of them. And I think my issue with, um, in the dating world, they call this the cold approach. Yeah, that's the term. they do. Just walking up to somebody is that I can, I feel like I can sense that fear and I don't want to frighten someone. Sure. And I, I don't want to interrupt somebody's day. I don't want to walk up and say, hi, my name's Ben and have them go like, yeah, you're some sure. creep, you know? Because I, I, I do think it can be construed as kind of creepy and sure, especially if I'm attracted to this person, it's doubly so. Yeah. How does one deal with that? Well, I think that you have to look at it. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, statistical thinking of you know thinking about things in in the whole. 
which means if you approach, you know, a hundred people off the street, right? Then what percent? And this is a personal question. Is this question. before or after I have the aneurysm? <laughs> this is a personal question that I think everybody has to ask themselves and come up with a comfortable number themselves. Mm -hmm. But you have to ask yourself, you know, what percent of people that think you're creepy are you comfortable having? You know, if you mm -hmm. if you approach 100 people yeah. and you have 10 really good reactions where mm -hmm. they could potentially become lifelong friends they could potentially become you know a partner that you date for many years that you mm -hmm. have really good interactions with mm -hmm. but 90 percent of the people think you're a creep or crazy or mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. then assuming that you know none of those 90 people got you know you, you never physically touched them you never really said anything mean to them mm -hmm. then is that is that an acceptable outcome for you sure for some people you know who value these deep lifelong emotional connections mm -hmm. and don't really care about what 90 you know random people off the street might think of you that you're mm -hmm. never going to see again maybe that's acceptable okay but that's really on the deep end i think usually you know you're talking most of your interactions go well maybe there's always going to be one or two percent mm -hmm. of people that are just going to have a negative reaction no matter how nice you are no matter how amazing you are Mm -hmm. they're just going to react badly to it. Like because... I, could be, I could be Keanu Reeves and they would still be upset. Exactly. Keanu's really hot right now. He really is. Like everyone thinks he's like, the, he, he kind of is the nicest person on the planet, I think. He's got a lot going for him. He does indeed. It's good to be Keanu Reeves. So if you accept that, you know, a small percent are going to be having a negative reaction and it's just kind of that balance point between 1% and 90%, like, you know, how do you sleep at night and what are you comfortable with? Right. And I think for the most part, people can be very comfortable when they have very positive reactions most of the time and, you know, slightly negative ones for a small percent of the time. So tell us an anecdote about a, uh, a things that went okay or went, or went really, really well, or tell us just about something that went really, really well. I think that's sure. Simple. Give us a story. There's, there's, there's so many, I think one there's of the so ones many. that happened Listen recently that. here Listen in San Francisco is I was waiting for my iPhone to be repaired. Very common situation sitting in an Apple store. The genius bar makes you wait. Mm -hmm. And while you're waiting with not much else to do, I saw another a woman who was there also getting, I think, her phone repaired, mm -hmm. sitting right waiting around with nothing to do. Mm -hmm. Two people. And, you know, because of the background and the skill set, I was comfortable enough to walk over, introduce myself, mm -hmm. talked a little bit about, you know, what we were doing there, how our days were going. Be specific. Like sure. walk us through it. You sure. walked up to her and said, I started with, Hey, my name's Nick. <laughs> okay. She introduced herself. I, we, I talked specifically about, you know, waiting around for the phone. Yeah. We did a little bit of small talk, you know, what, what we're doing with the day, what we're going to be doing, you know, after we get our phone fixed, what's wrong with our phones. Uh -huh. And she had a camera with her. Uh huh. And I actually believe at the time, I also had a deck of cards in my hands, Ooh. which gimmick. I should mention at this point that I uh, am a close-up magician yeah. in my spare time. Nick once made my own head disappear. <laughs> and we started talking about photography. Mm -hmm. My father uh, was a photographer as well. Mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit about lenses. I, then she took some photos of my cards. I did some fancy you know, card slides that looked very photogenic. Mm -hmm. And then we got to talking about our time in San Francisco, mm -hmm. what dating was like in San Francisco, mm -hmm. 
And that's where, you know, I was leading the conversation to mm -hmm. lead into that area because I mm -hmm. wanted to find out if she was, you know, available, if she was single, what, yeah. what the story was. So we talked a little bit about that. It turns out she actually was, she was in art school and dating someone in art school, but they were not, uh, they were still kind of casual, not really exclusive. Mm -hmm. And throughout the conversation, continue to escalate the level of, you know, intimacy and the, the depth of what we were talking about mm -hmm. until we both got our phones fixed around the same time. Mm -hmm. And I was able to, uh, find out that we were both bicyclists. We both biked there mm -hmm. and we were both biking in the same direction. So we kind of continue our conversation while we were biking. That's so cool. That's amazing. And when we got to a stop where I knew we were going to have to split directions, we stopped. We stopped off at the corner of the road, talked for about another five minutes about, you know, potentially setting up a date, mm -hmm. set, set up the date, and then uh, exchanged phone numbers, had a hug, and, you know, biked our separate ways. That's beautiful. Wow, what a story. Can you speak a little bit about the gender norm around, like w women, I have never been cold approached by a woman sure. in my life. <laughs> sure. Um, which may be my own fault. Sure. Can you speak to that? Uh, about, so about the gender difference? Yeah, like like I think what most people when they just heard your story would say, oh, that's just, he's just talking about men. Yeah, so I think that unfortunately, I think women have been regulated to the kind of passive reactive role in dating, which is not always in their own you know best interest when you say regulated what do you mean i mean that the uh inherent you know cultural story of gender the way that dating works the sexism uh inherent to our culture often puts you know women the role of being approached and then making a decision mm -hmm. about whether to you know let this approach happen or not sure you know i can i could talk for a long time about why that's uh, negative uh, mostly in one sense in that you know, model, the only uh, men that women get to choose from are the ones that made a move and approached them. Yeah. Which is a fraction of, you know, total men. Sure. So I always advocate for women that are looking to take charge of their dating life mm -hmm. is to take on more of an active role, mm -hmm. uh, take more, uh, take on a role of approaching and take on a role of escalating uh, as much as is necessary. I think it's can be important, you know, when you're dealing with these tr traditional gender roles mm -hmm. to let the man have, you know, an active role and not be too active. Although if that's the type yeah. of man you're looking for, then when you say escalate, what do you mean? Sure. Uh, escalating just means it's really just looking at the trajectory of the conversation mm -hmm. and whether things are plateauing and staying the same or whether mm -hmm. they're moving forward. Okay. So escalating could be getting out of small talk and getting into a topic that you care about mm -hmm. and that the person you're talking to cares about. Mm -hmm. Escalating could be taking a conversation that is pretty platonic and then moving it into more of a sexual direction. Mm -hmm. And when I say sexual, I just mean it could be the realm of dating. It's just the realm of more than platonic, you know, when you're potentially on the path of finding okay. a partner. All right, um, let's move on. Speaking sure. of escalating, yeah. <laughs> um, what is what does dating mean? Dating, everybody has their own definitions and nobody's definitions are the same. Right. And that's one of the dangers that people really walk into is they think, well, I have to treat this casual relationship different from this serious relationship and they have all these rules of like well don't do this if you want this type of relationship and all those models 
and boxes really get in the way of communication. They get in the way of direct, honest communication. And those are usually the sources of difficulty, whether it's a relationship that never forms or a relationship that ends up failing because two people were kind of talking past each other with these different definitions. Mm -hmm. So what I think about dating is it's just two people that decide they enjoy being around the other person and they find some type of structure or schedule to see each other on a regular basis, do something they both enjoy, and you know, potentially for most people, have a sexual relationship as a component of that. Okay, and that segues into another one. Uh, when should sex be introduced into a new well, budding relationship? My own general advice is as soon as you're both comfortable which is that's almost as soon as possible. <laughs> that's the best. That's the one I remember from earlier, as soon as possible. So like five minutes? If Yeah, if you guys both have a really amazing connection and you're both in the right mindset for it, then I think uh, you can have some really good relationships starting that way. Okay. Personally speaking, most of the best relationships I've had mm -hmm. with the best chemistry, uh, the most emotional involvement over the long term, mm -hmm. usually started with, with either having sex on the first date or on the first two dates. Mm -hmm. That's pretty common these days, isn't it? I think it's becoming more and more common even yeah. when it's not generally talked about right. because of all of the sex negativity and shaming that goes I've on. I've heard, and I don't know if it's true, but I've talked to several people who are from Paris specifically, that in Paris, uh, or maybe most of France, that sex is expected on a first date. And the idea is, is that you're finding out whether or not you're sexually compatible. Yeah. Which and is an important thing to know. Yeah, I think there are, there are also several different paradigms. There, I know that there are dating coaches, uh, uh, female dating coaches, usually targeting women who will, you know, will, will advocate waiting mm -hmm. and will advocate making it something that someone has to work for, mm -hmm. which can work. I try to avoid the really harsh manipulation and playing games. Mm -hmm. I'm much more of a fan of direct, you know, honest communication about mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. I think that it also makes sex into kind of a bigger deal than it needs to be. But I think a lot of people are pretty flexible with that. I think that I've known many women who might have a you know general rule of waiting until the fourth or fifth date, but at mm -hmm. the same time for the right person, as we said, first date is, you know, acceptable and fun. And so as far as structuring a budding relationship, you know, you've been on say two or three dates, what is the first phase of a relationship yeah. look like? Or how might you coach somebody around that? Well, what I would coach them is don't have this preset plan and box for what a relationship is. Talk to the person. Mm -hmm. Because if you, a lot of people don't seem to talk about how often do you want to see, you know, how often should we see each other? When we do see each other, should we, do you, you just want to come back to watch Netflix at my place? Do you want to go out to dinner? Do you like to do activities? You know, do you want to see me more in the daytime or the evening? You know, some people want to see each other once every two weeks and that's, you know, often they might be dating multiple people, but that's right. fine. Right. Other people might want to see each other five, six, you know, even seven times a week, but it's really about having that conversation early so that yeah. you're both on the same page. Yeah. One thing that Nick told me that terrified me was that you want to have as much information come to light in the first like 15 to 20 minutes of talking to somebody as most people would have in the first six to seven months. Yeah. 
what are you looking for? Are you seeing anyone else right now? Yeah. Are you, how long has it been since you've been in a relationship? I mean, all these really private details that just kind of shocked me. Yeah, bring be vulnerable and bring all that stuff to the surface. Yeah. One of the things I always talk about dating as kind of like a goal to have or, you know, one lens to see the structure of dating through is how efficiently you can communicate who you are right. to the other person. Um, someone who's a narcissist, you always hear stories about people that are married for three, four, five years mm -hmm. before those details really come to light. They realize what the relationship, they realize they were being lied to. So you can easily spend years with somebody and not really know them very well. Right. And on the flip side, you can often be in a relationship and be, you know, six months into the relationship and mm -hmm. new things come to light. You realize yeah. you weren't as compatible. I think people who are good at dating, people mm -hmm. who are good at forming relationships, that number is, you know, closer, less than two months, mm -hmm. a couple dates. Mm -hmm. I think the people that, well, you know, what I try to strive for and the, the people that I work with can actually get across a pretty good idea of who they are in one date or mm -hmm. even 15 minutes. Wow. And if you can really communicate who you are what you're looking for and not just all the upsides, you know, the downsides too. You got to provide a full picture and be comfortable being vulnerable right. with your faults. And if you can get that across and they get a sense of like, oh, this is somebody who's being really honest. This is yeah. somebody who knows who they are and they know what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Then even in 15 minutes, you can have a pretty good decision of, mm -hmm. is this something I want to move forward with or not? And one really powerful tool that you once spoke of is removing ambiguity. Yes. So if you're not really sure about something, someone says like half of a statement about yeah. a past relationship, ask, well, what was that about? Yeah. I think it's in everybody's, it's a strategy. It's a social strategy to yeah. be ambiguous because then you, you always have the choice for later. Yeah. And even in the terms of, you know, setting up something with your friends, you say, well, maybe I can be free on Friday because yeah. you want, you know, if it's a week away and something better comes along, you want the ability yeah. to take it. So it behooves everybody to have clear, honest communication. So when something comes up that you're not sure about, when a statement is made where mm -hmm. it seems like there's something behind that, mm -hmm. then ask the, you know, ask a clarifying question. Yeah. Kind of ask what's going on and get to the heart of it and have that conversation because you're always going to be in a better place after mm -hmm. you eliminate that ambiguity mm -hmm. than just leaving it sit there. So a few examples, like I've, I've done this a few times, like I was on a date where I really wasn't sure if yeah. she was enjoying the conversation Yeah, and I just wanted to know. Mm -hmm. So I asked her, I've even asked women, do you think there's chemistry here? Do you find me attractive? Like what's going on? Yeah. And it was kind of a risky thing to do, but it was such a relief to ask that. Yeah. And, you know, one woman was, well, honestly, she was like, we got really honest. She's like, yeah, I'm seeing this guy, he's this, this married man, and I'm in love with him, and I really shouldn't be on a date right now. And I mean, talk about that's common. Clearing something up that would have been an enormous problem if I had gone out with her again. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how often things like that happen. They yeah. just don't get spoken about. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not advocating that everybody do that all the time, but yeah. just, just allow yourself, and this I learned from Nick, to, to ask the difficult questions yeah. and ask them soon. Yeah. Um, and part of that, you know, specific example is being able to be comfortable with the knowledge that the person you're talking to might be dating somebody else. Yes. And being able to take the pressure off that conversation and mm -hmm. have it, you know, in a calm and comfortable way. Yeah. I think that the more, you know, the more things that are frightening to you, the more things that make you uncomfortable, those mm -hmm. are things that you're going to avoid having the conversation about. Yeah. And those are always the things that end up, yeah. you know, biting you. And the thing is, is that I, you know, if she's seeing someone else, that's fine. But her statement was, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. Was the key. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't be here. This is not what I should be doing. I need to be, I need to clear it, be clearing up my, my life a little bit. 
I want to also say that these are also issues that we're going to cover in lots more detail later on. So we're touching on, we're skimming the surface here. Would you say we're skimming the surface? Very, very, very skimming. Very skimming. I think that, <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of the things that we want to talk about is the mindset that's important to have, yeah. you know, for starting a new relationship with somebody. Yeah. In addition to all the mindsets required, mm -hmm. also the practical aspects of, you know, what do you, what do you say? How, you know, when you get a number, what does that text conversation in between the number and a date look sure. like? And we okay. can get into all that. Okay. Uh, and we will. Um, I want to ask a few more questions. What about people who are getting back into the game after a divorce? Especially if they're really out of touch with technology. They could be in their 40s, 50s, 60s. And they're just like, what do I do? Like, sure. Oh, God. The notion of going out into the world and meeting new people. I was married to this man or married mm -hmm. to this woman for 30, 40 years. And now I'm expected to do what? Sure. It can be really daunting. One thing to keep in mind is that, you know, ultimately it's a skill set. You know, the social dating a toolkit that you have is something that takes practice that you can get better at if you work at it. I'd also like everybody to remember that the world is a big place and there are other people in your situation. Mm -hmm. For every guy that, you know, was divorced, there's there's a girl who was divorced as well. Ultimately, a lot of this is about finding those people and they're out in the world. You know, wherever people are at, there are mm -hmm. going to be some people who are in your, you know, whether it's your age range or, you know, socioeconomic group that you want to date in. There's going to be other people. It's just a matter of finding out where they are at mm -hmm. and then being able to have that that toolkit to actually go meet them when you see them. Because what happens for a lot of people is, you know, they meet people in passing, they see people in these spaces, but they don't have confidence and the knowledge of how to actually go up and talk to them. So I'm going to move on to another one that's attached to this, which is sure. I think a lot of folks don't think they're wantable. They don't yeah. think they're attractive. Sure. They don't think that, well, who would want to go out with me? Yeah. I don't mean to speak for everybody out there. I can speak for myself. When I was from, from a very young age, as soon as I probably first had the thought, up until, uh, you know, 25, 26, I was convinced, absolutely 100% convinced that no one would ever find me sexually attractive. Mm -hmm. That was something for you know other men. Right. And in order to have some, to, in order to find someone who would have sex with me, I had to be in a relationship with them. And that was kind of a trade. It was like I'm being in a relationship with you, mm -hmm. and then it, you know, ex it, part of that exchange is then we we kind of like have to have sex because we're in a monogamous relationship. Sure. But it, I never thought I was the type of person that someone would look at and go, yes, you know, that guy right there, mm -hmm. that's what I want. And that was really hard. It's really hard to have that mindset. There's just like I said for the you know the previous topic of uh, getting into it after divorce. There's always somebody out there. The mm -hmm. world's a big place. Yeah, and you can find somebody. You know, people who are socially awkward, people who are on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people of potential partners out there that are in a similar space. So let me give you a for instance. I'll yeah. just talk about myself since I love doing that. Sure. Uh, so I used to be a very heavy individual. Mm -hmm. um, I would say 100 pounds heavier. Yeah. Also, my social skills were in just just terrible. And so even though I've lost a lot of weight and I'm in pretty decent shape, I'd say, yeah. I still have this inner fat kid yeah. that when I walk out in public, I think I'm this ugly, socially unskilled yeah. <laughs> person. How, how, and and every, I think every a lot of people have that. They yeah. have this core insecurity that's based on the fact that maybe they weren't properly adored as children. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have some sort of eating disorder. Yeah. Maybe they've got, they have some trauma, some sexual trauma, yeah. and they just feel like I am not a wantable person. How does somebody 
break through that? It's a difficult journey, certainly for everyone. I, you know, that's something that happens on the course of many months and years. Uh-huh. And that's something that takes a lot of introspection. Okay. Ultimately, you have to face the reality that often those things are ego protection mechanisms to say rather than, you know, it being me, rather than it being, uh, you know, my personality or my worth as a human, it's this external factor. It's how I look. It's my weight. It's my age. It's all these factors. And those are easy to blame Mm -hmm. uh, because either a lot of times there are things you can't change. Right. Uh, especially height is a, is a big one. Yeah. Height. I left that out. So I think part of it is recognizing that you might be, you know, having those feelings as a way to protect your ego. So one of the things I advocate people who have those types of issues is to really get past the notion that your, uh, you know, the ability for other people to want to date you is somehow a definition of your self-worth as a human being, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunately a, a really challenging uh, limiting belief because our, so that's how our society is set up. Mm-hmm. I think that whether it's status, having a lot of money, all these kind of external metrics of success are usually a way of saying, well, you know, if I have all that money or I have all this success, then that means I'm going to be able to get the mm-hmm. best men. I'm going to be able to get the best women. Right. It's just seen as that's your worth. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge factor that uh, I go into with a lot of clients and mm-hmm. I think takes a lot of time. I think positive thinking can be mm-hmm. a really important component of yeah, getting Yeah, you once said it. to assume attraction. That is an important that is an important that? question. Yeah, so assuming attraction is really analogous to confidence. Mm-hmm. I would define confidence as in the absence of explicit evidence otherwise than assume you're going to be successful. I prefer to see the world as I want it to be. Mm-hmm and then look to be proven wrong mm-hmm. rather than you know assuming the world is in the middle of the road or assuming the world is negative mm-hmm. and then looking for signs that it's not mm-hmm. in terms of dating mm-hmm. that manifests itself as assuming attraction assume that the person you're going to go up and talk to assume that the people you meet are going to be attracted to you a lot of people get analysis paralysis where they are constantly looking for signals. Is this person into me? Is Was that a signal that they liked me? Was that a signal that they didn't like me? It causes them to get in their own way of taking the steps necessary to move that interaction and that uh, relationship along. It can also come across as non-confident. You know, if you are sending all these subconscious signals that you're not sure the other person's attracted to you, then the other person can think, well, if they're not sure I'm attracted to them, should I be attracted to them? Because that can be a uh, unattractive quality, mm-hmm. just that that um, insecurity. Mm-hmm. So when you assume attraction and you're projecting that confidence, then even for people that maybe weren't sure how they felt about you, sometimes the mere act of you thinking that the other person is attracted to you can attract them to you. And it's always in your best interest to assume. Well, I guess that's a matter of practice, isn't it? (laughs) Um, It's it's hard. And I think that at least initially, there's a lot of uh, the phrase, you know, fake it until you make it, where you have to through, I, I always... Uh, advocate meditation through positive thinking. You have to try to embody these mindsets Mm -hmm. and act through that lens, even when you don't believe it yourself. But what invariably happens is you have these positive experiences, you have these successes, and you realize like, wait, I'm acting like I have this belief 
and I'm getting positive results because of it. So I actually can have this belief. And over time, those successes, those experiences will actually manifest in a change yeah. in your thinking. It sounds like a lot of your, the main tool for transformation is really just sort of stepping out of your comfort zone, one toe at a time. Yes. And kind of just, eh, ouch. Okay. 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 Yes. There's yeah. not, there's not a lot of opportunity for growth when you're comfortable. I think yeah. that seeking out, uh, I always like to visualize it as discomfort is like a lighthouse, yeah. you know, beaming a light out in the ocean yeah. and wherever, whatever makes you uncomfortable, that's a good area to go to for personal growth. Yeah. Uh, and not just, that's not just for dating, but for everything in life. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can adopt that mindset mm -hmm. of being comfortable with being uncomfortable mm -hmm. and you can adopt that mindset of going after those things, mm -hmm. then eventually slowly, but surely one thing at a time, you kind of transform your life where all these things that used to make you uncomfortable. Now you're comfortable with, you might not be good at them or you might not enjoy them, mm -hmm. but at least you're comfortable with them. And that creates a lot of personal growth. Right. And I think helps you, you know, grow as a person and change your overall mindset. Yeah. I think people wire their whole lives around their comfort zones. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's they, really easy. We naturally create our whole world in, in a thing that makes us cozy. Yeah. And, and you can do it. I mean, with, uh, with all the technology and all the new services, you can live your entire life being very, very comfortable. Yeah. And never really putting yourself out there and not having a lot of personal growth. Mm -hmm. If you don't like to talking to people at a checkout register, you can, you know, you can order things online and have them delivered. And some people don't even know that there's a growth to happen. They don't know that there's a potential to change and they don't, they, they, their reality is so, so set that they don't know that they're set, that they're even in a reality. You exactly. Know, it's you know a prison saying? you can't see. Yes. Yes. Well said, sir. Well said. You should be a therapist. In many ways. In many ways. Kind of am. Yeah. Uh, dry spells. Why does that happen? I get that question a lot. Uh -huh. And I think usually it's about examining the individual. You know, where are they meeting people when they are meeting people? Mm -hmm. Are they noticing changes in their mindset or lifestyle? You know, mm -hmm. some people, they stop going to the gym and there's a dry spell, but until they, they don't really connect the two because they weren't meeting people at the gym, but it's just something about their lifestyle. Maybe it could affect their, you know, outlook and depression. It could, uh, you know, maybe it just is the, the, the clothing that they're wearing. They, when they feel confident in, you know, their uh, tighter shirts, they're more likely to go up to talk to someone. Sure. So I think it's just about examining the patterns in your life. Mm -hmm. I think that the more you have a conscious understanding of dating, mm -hmm. Because most people, dating is a very kind of unknown, murky area. It's like they, they try to meet people. They're not really sure how it's supposed to go, what to say. Uh, the more that you can systematize it, the more that you have the knowledge of what to say, how to escalate, how to go through all these steps, then the more consistent and reproducible your results be. And then mm -hmm. you can usually get rid of your dry spell. So I okay. think it's just about understanding your own patterns mm -hmm. and then figuring out how to do something you know repeatedly. I don't know if this question is redundant, but... Mm -hmm. I hear this one too. Will I be alone forever? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a dark area. Yeah. What's that in. about? I think that a lot of people have these self-reinforcing patterns and they can stem from early childhood. There's, there's some interesting studies that show a kids who move schools mm -hmm. are there's very little correlation between like their social status in one school versus the other so popular kids are just as likely to end up being kind of the outcast of the new school as mm -hmm. the outcast kids are end up likely to be popular mm -hmm. 
And so it's really less about, you know, who you are as a person and your identity and more about the environment you're in, the situation and just random happenstance. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, starting at a young age, people often build their identities around their conditions. They realize, well, I was an outcast. Not a lot of people, you know, nobody loved me. I didn't date Mm -hmm. at a young age. That's, I'm just undateable. I'm not lovable. Someone who thinks that they are undateable and lovable can often be very difficult to have a relationship with. Yeah. One of the things that one of the biggest killers of attraction is neediness. Yeah. When you are needing validation and you're needing things from the people around you and your partners. Uh, one of the things I advocate for people who get better dating is eliminate neediness. Figure why does, out why does neediness such a buzzkill? Well, I think it's pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally people don't want to be responsible for your happiness or your sadness. When you put all of that pressure and that expectation on them that you're going to be worse off if they don't act in a certain way, if they don't give you the validation you're seeking, if they don't do the right thing, you know, I think it's just a lot of pressure and I think they can see where that leads. It leads to a lot of dysfunctional relationships. Mm -hmm, It can lead to codependence. It's not a partnership. Suddenly it's a, it's a one down situation. Exactly. Where one person doesn't seem to value themselves. Exactly. And who wants to be with someone who doesn't value themselves? Because if they don't, like, why would I want to be with someone? Like, does that mean I don't value myself? with someone who doesn't value themselves and it it gets into all these things you generally want your relationships to be value giving you know you want every minute that you spend with another person to make your life better to get you know better appreciation better connection so if someone is in that space that you know in that kind of circular set self Uh uh, circular reinforcing spiral Uh then it can be hard to break out of Uh, it requires you know, in a lot of cases, you're also dealing with mental illness in there. You're dealing with yeah. depression. Yeah. It's all kind of rolled up together. But I think from my own personal experience, everything I've seen says no matter who you are, you can mm-hmm. change. Yeah. You can make a change because ultimately it's all your behavior, mm-hmm. right? It's all your mindset. Mm-hmm. What you think is who you are. Mm-hmm. So if you change your mindset and you change what you're thinking about, mm-hmm. then you change how you come across to other people. So I think, again, I've seen so many transformation stories, people Mm -hmm. that were convinced they wouldn't ever find anybody to Mm -hmm. like them or love them, you know, in the course of sometimes, you know, a couple years, but a couple years of hard work is worth it for a life changing experience. Certainly. So let's wrap up with some resources. Do you have any books uh, or classes or anything for folks who want to get a dive a little deeper into this? So I offer personal coaching through uh, a website clearintent.com it's clear-intent.com which is one of the things I advocate is making being clear in your intentions Mm -hmm. you sign up there with an email list I also run in the Bay Area some seminars and kind of introductory groups Mm -hmm. to you know just give people some basic beginner knowledge okay for other books one of the one of the classics that has been it's kind of on the more game pickup side is mm. Models by Mark Manson. I don't agree with everything uh, Mark has to say, but a lot of the material in there is about being vulnerable, eliminating neediness, mm-hmm. and being more real as a person. And I think that's a good that's a good starting place mm-hmm. uh, without all of the you know more gamey mm-hmm. style resources. Anyway, Nick, Mr. Turner, Ben, fabulous interview. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming out on this beautiful Sunday afternoon to uh, bless us with your considerable knowledge. It was enjoyable after a fun day of jujitsu. Yes, it was. Everything is better after jujitsu, isn't it? All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Anytime. Take care. 
thank you for listening. As always, pertinent information stemming from this podcast, including links and other resources, are available in the episode notes below. Should you have any questions, feedback, or wish to be a guest on my podcast, I can be reached at benjaminrusick at gmail.com. That's B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N-R-U-S-S-A-C-K at gmail.com. You can also reach me by going to my website at benjaminrusick.com. Thanks again, and remember, if your plate is full, sometimes you need to scrape a few things off to the side, and sometimes you just need a bigger plate. <laughs>